Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans 5? Um, and we're going to start with verse 1 to v- verse 10. So Romans 5, verse 1 to verse 10. As you guys probably already noticed, we are past Valentine's. And uh, some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. Um, because, you know, if you went on dates on Valentine's, that's great. But if you're single, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what you're going through. And uh, But this morning, I want to focus on not just sort of like the romantic, you know, love, but I'm talking about like the love of Christ and how that relates in our community, how that uh, relates in, in how we deal with one another. Amen. So if you are there, uh, we're going to start with verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we have been made right with uh, in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done has done for us. Because of our faith, uh, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege. Can you say that? Undeserved privilege. I'm trying to get you to say that because I think it's a very important thing to, to keep in mind is that Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we are now standing, where we are now stand, where we now stand. And we are confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength um, of character and character strengths of confidence or confidence in hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, now I want you to really pay attention to this passage, okay? When we were utterly helpless, Christ came uh, at just the right moment and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, um, so though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a, a person who's especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right when God's sight by, by the blood of uh, Jesus Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by death of His Son while we we're still enemies, we certainly uh, will be saved through the life of His Son. Can anyone say amen to that? We are brought into a place of undeserved privilege. Now, when I look at the God's love toward, towards us, I think it's so easy to sort of look at God and sort of portray, you know, maybe your experience when we say, like, God is our Father, right? Well, if you, ha- if you happen to have a, a father or a dad that was abusive, well, you can't look to God in the same way. He says that I am a good... Uh, Father, I am a good God. I, I, you know, He loves honesty and He loves, you know, to, to, to really see you do well. He's not the one who wants to kind of destroy you. He wants you to live. He wants you to have a life unlike anything you've, you've known before. But I think a lot of times we, 
a lot of times we kind of get confused because of all the other loves that we have, right? A lot of times we say things like, I love Jesus, and then in the same sentence you might say, and I also love cheese. And, you know, in my own language, back in Moldova, like, we had specific words, right? Like, we had a one word to say that we love cheese, and it was a completely different word that we used for, like, loving our Savior. You know, so a lot of times we can... You know, I love Jesus, and I love cheese, and I love, you know, hobbies, and so on and so forth. Uh, for me, it was painfully aware <laughs> what, like, I was, I think, about fifth grade, and I started to um, notice girls. And, uh, <laughs> and we had this one girl that came into our school, and her name was Olga. She was from Moscow. And she was the new kid in school. Everyone seemed to, and I, 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 you know, I was the president of my class, and I started making fun of her because that's what you do apparently when you're five. You show your display of emotion and love by making fun of people, and you know, torturing them. Um, and, and so I started to make fun of her, but secretly I started to be interested in this girl. And obviously, I didn't want to tell my friends that I actually liked this girl. And we started to have these notes for Valentine's, right? Like we'd write each other. And we kind of continued that through, throughout the year. And nobody really knew about it, you know. And I remember this one time I, I, I sat down, I wrote this longer letter. And I started, I kid you not, with this. Don't, like if, if you're a guy, don't ever start the letter like that. But um, I started saying, uh, Olga, let's talk about life. Okay. And I kind of detailed the whole letter. Well... I, you know, we were very secretive. We had like a system in place where I would give this note to her friend and her friend would give it to her. Um, so we didn't exchange notes on passing. Like we constantly had a system so people would not find out. Um, and I came home and my dad says, can I talk to you? And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> every single time he says that, like I'm in trouble. He sits me down and he says, you know, I had this dream of you sort of messing around with this girl. And I'm like, uh... No. Um, and I'm literally lying to him. He says, yeah, well, see, I, uh, in this dream, I had this letter that you, I saw you writing this letter. And he said, Olga, let's talk about life. And I'm, at this point, I'm thinking, my dad is a prophet. And I am doomed. Um, and I'll never... Well, now, listen to what really happened, okay? I gave the, that note to her best friend. Her best friend went to the dentist, and then somehow that letter fell into the dentist's office. And guess who cleans my, uh, well, the dentist's office? It was my aunt. And I was, you know, pretty dumb enough to actually put my name on that note. Um, so she took it to my dad and said, look, I found this. And my dad read the whole thing. So even though that incident was over, the embarrassment of it, it never died down. Because even when I was like 24, 25, my dad would be like, so you want to talk about life? Uh, so Slavic, let's sit down and talk about life. And the thing is, is that when I look at this, you know, even when people in the room would not know what we were talking about, they, they thought we just want to talk about life. But I knew what my dad was implying. But then if I think about this, what is our life if it's not a sum total of our loves? Right? Like, we, the most intimate moments that we have is with people that really you know, we really love, and about talking about the things that we really love. 
and talk about you know our passions. Our so, so I would say that our lo- our life is a sum total of our, all of our loves. You you can tell this by people that are so defined by football that they live and breathe football like every single day, or video games, or people that are so into one thing like golfing is their life or. Uh, Daytona 500, like the, the whole life is surrounded by this one thing that they do and they're defined by it. They're a missionary, they love the mission field so much. Their whole life revolves around being a missionary. If you're in business, you, you notice that people in business, they tend to hang out with the same people and their whole life revolves around business. And if you, if you happen to be in love, right, like your whole life, revolves around that one person. And if you have maybe a sickness in the family, then you automatically understand that your whole life just became you sort of dancing and trying to make, you know, you know, more, more of a comfort for the, the, the family member that's suffering. Right? Like, we are defined by, by our loves, right? Like, we, we blush at when people mention a name that you seem to be associated with. Right, like where you have a crush on. We get excited, right? Like when when somebody talks about something you love. When you say like, "Oh, you like cheese? <laughs> Do I like cheese? I love cheese." <laughs> right? Like I love chocolate. What do you mean I like chocolate? Right? Like you you get so passionate about this. Do I love Seahawks? What, what kind of question is that? You you scream at the top of your lungs when when somebody scores. We are defined by that. And maybe it's not such a bad thing, unless the loves that we, we dance around and we worship are temporary things. You see, Jesus gave us two commandments. I mean, we had ten, you know, in the Old Testament. And then there was like 613 laws. And then Jesus comes and summons the ten commandments into two. Because the first five have to do one thing, and that is loving your God with all that you have, and with all that you are. And the second five are about how you deal with people, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and so on and so forth. So Jesus says, you know, that all commandments are, you know, someone too. Love your God with all that you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. He summoned all those things. So, the thing is... Having your life be defined by what you love is not necessarily a bad thing unless the things that you love are temporary. Because when they go out, when they are done, you will be devastated. So our, our loves, they have to be invested in the things that will outlast it. I don't know if you noticed, but everyone in here that walked in this place, they all have a face, but then there's also a story behind every single face. And I hope that we all realize that the people that you are working with, people that you go to school with, people that you come to church with, they are immortal. I, as I mentioned previously, I hate this idea of you only live once. Because you don't. You live forever. You might die once. Right? But we live forever. And just the thing that the person that's sitting right next to you is actually going to be in eternity. To know that one day we'll all either be restored to the image of God that we were designed to be 
Will we be, or if we don't follow after Jesus, we will be like a creature of hell, a demonic creature. It's kind of crazy to think about. Automatically changes the way we deal with one another. To know that the person that you gossip about and personally want to spit in their face, they they're eternal. It makes you, it makes you treat them differently, right? But it's so often, it's so unfortunate because we use things, you know. I mean, we use people to get things instead of using things to get people. People are eternal. God is eternal. Amen. Things that we, cheese and chocolate, as, as, as amazing as they are, and, and recreational, uh, recreational sports, they're all temporary. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this, that, you know, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, when he says gods and goddesses, it doesn't mean God as in God. He's saying that with a little g, that every single one of us, either at one point, we're going to be restored to what we were meant to look like in Christ, in his image. And therefore, when you look at that person that's free of sin, it's like a person God's image. That's what he, he means by this. And he says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dualist, most in, uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature of which, you, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you meet only a nightmare. So basically, what he's saying is the most boring person that you ever meet the most unattractive person you ever meet. It's crazy to think that they have an eternity. So because of that, even if they're boring to you now, please understand there's so much more to that person. This person one day will be either someone in the image of God, free of sin. And if you're to see them as they will be one day, you might be tempted even to worship them, which it would, would be a wrong thing to do. Or, if this person does not know Christ, then this person will never be restored to that initial image of what we're meant to be. This person is going to become like a demon. This person will be so corrupt that the only place for them is hell. Because they gave, gave so much themselves into those desires that they become a creature that you might only meet in nightmares. He goes on to say, all day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. What he's saying is, when we talk to one another, we either draw them closer to Christ, to the image of what we were supposed to, or we draw them closer to hell. We draw them closer to becoming a creature of horror. Every single moment that you spend talking to someone, you either draw them closer to being Christ-like or to being Satan-like. He goes on to say, it is in this light of these overwhelming possibilities, in this awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all of our friendships, all of our loves, all play in politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours like a life of a gnat. That's like a small fly. But it is immortals we joke with, whom we marry and snub and exploit, immortal horrors or immortal splendors. So what he's saying is that you do realize that every single person is eternal. 
And every single person that you encounter, every single time you try to exploit them, every single time you, you do realize that this one day will come out. So he's saying, be really careful how you treat one another. He's saying the same exact thing what Jesus said here. That is, you know, we have this, we, we have this, <laughs> he, he names, we have undeserved privilege to stand confidently, confidently and joyful and to look and to share in God's glory. So, so he, he encourages us that in light of that, because we, we are in this undeserved privilege, that we have to realize that we have to treat each other with respect, honor, and love. So, question that becomes, why wouldn't anybody just treat each other with love and kindness and respect? I think as ch- uh, in church, I've met some of the most genuine people. I can say the church has become literally my, my second family or my, my extended family. In church, I've met fathers that have, have mentored me, people that have spoke truth into my life. In church, I met some of the most, you know, loving and caring people, some of the most powerful people that I know, people that are passionate about life and what God is doing here. And in church, I've also met some of the most decept- de- deceiving people. In church, I've met some of the most broken people. So, so it's not so much about, because if you're in church or at work, and it's not so much about how people treat you, is how do you treat them? Do you treat, do you take every single relationship that you have in light of eternity? I think every single one of us would, uh, if we considered every single relationship, every single joke, I mean, so many times with my roommates or my friends, right? I want to say something that like, you know, it's one of those, you know, backhand comments, Right? Like, you want to just kind of like, I'll oh, just have that one good comeback. It's, and every single time, especially lately, every single time I want to say it, like, the Holy Spirit automatically just convicts me and I'm like, oh, I can't. <laughs> oh, like, I, I'm so tempted to, but I can't. And, and, and like, you realize pretty quickly that in light of that, every single time you are tempted to exploit a relationship for your own good and benefit, Instead of them, instead of what it's in, to love people not for your sake, but to love people for their own sake, is what I'm talking about. To say, hey, there's nothing you can provide right now to my life, but I love you because Christ loves me, and I'm just, it's freely given to me, and I'm going to freely give it to you. But, but, But our culture made our love so intertwined and so confusing, so perverted, Right? Like for for a long time, I when I came here, I couldn't look at my brothers in, in Christ at church and say I love them because I was like, oh, that's just weird. <laughs> you don't go up to a guy and be like, bro, I love you, because that's just so odd. I mean, who says that kind of stuff? Especially in the light of, thank you, Pastor Yuri says that. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, right? I say, I say that too now, but that's not, you know, and, and, oh, because the culture, you know, has bad connotation, you know, especially what's going on with the whole like culture right now it's not well trust me apostle paul when he lived the culture was even worse so to say that like oh it's just a we don't have no we we gotta go by what the bible says and in the bible we see different kinds of loves we don't love the same i don't love the same way my god the way i love my mom i don't love the same way my my friends even though 
it still ultimately comes from the Lord, there's different kinds of love. Uh, C.S. Lewis says there's at least four. At least, this is not just C.S. Lewis. This is kind of back in, in, in the New Testament. A, a lot of people, a lot of philosophers would describe the four kind of loves, right? Now they made it to like seven, you know, and, and um, the, the four are, are, one of them is actually the, the, the love agape. Agape is, is the same love that Christ loves us with. It's a love that God loves us with. And the best description you can find about the agape love is you're going to find in 1 Corinthians 4, um, 13, verse 4. It says this, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand on its own. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always, it's always hopeful and endures through every single circumstance. I heard the story of, of this guy went to work. Well, actually, it was a girl that went to work in, and they were talking about, what does love mean to you? And she says, well, when I think of love, I think of love being, love is patient, love is kind. And she just quotes this, right? And I was like, did you write that? And, and the, she's like, no, it's just a book. What book? And uh, she's like, it's the Bible? I'm like, no, the Bible doesn't have that. Like, Because it's almost a supernatural kind of thing, right? Like, Because it, it, it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. I, a lot of times I like to do this where every time I get frustrated, I put my name instead of love, and I'm like, is Slavic patient? Is Slavic kind? Is Slavic jealous? Is he boastful, right? Like, uh, so, so God loves us with, with this unconditional kind of love. Now, I, I have to condition that unconditional kind of love, all right? Um, because he gives that love freely, but you still have to turn around and receive it. So there is a condition to that. You have to accept it. God initiates is what I'm saying, but you have to respond, I mean, like, imagine, like, if you, you know, you're going towards marriage, and if you initiate it, like, it's, that's one thing that's probably so hard to get married, um, because if you think about it, it's like, it's not just depends on you. It, you can initiate, but they have to respond, right? So God comes, and He initiates. So through Jesus, He says, I'm going to initiate my love towards the church, right? But you still have to turn around and say, I accept that. So, because here's the, here's the biggest thing about this. If we don't understand this, if we do not understand this love, then none of them make sense. Then everything else is just sort of a transaction. Everything else is no longer love, it's just exchange of goods. Um, I, I love what God says here in Jeremiah 2. You don't have to open there because I'm going to skip through the verses. But in Jeremiah 2, uh, he says this, I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me and through the barren wilderness. So basically saying, even through the desert you went because you loved me. So he's talking about, God is talking about Israelites where in this modern day would be about the church. He says, how you loved me, how you would go through the desert to, to, to get to me, right? And he says in verse 3, he says this, what did your ancestors find wrong in me? that led them to stray away from, from me. They worshipped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. And listen to this powerful line that he says. And he says, 
For my people have done two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water. What God is saying is, look, you've abandoned. I am the source of life, the source of all love, the source of all these things. And if you abandon that, and because you abandon that, you sort of got one of those old rusted buckets with holes. And you're just like, oh, as long as I have a little bit of water. And says, your, your, your cisterns and your buckets, are they leak. And you, you sort of are, are dancing around these cisterns like, oh, we have water. Yeah, in five days, that water doesn't get bad. So, so, so what God is saying here is that you found loves for yourselves that don't really last. Loves that are leaky. Loves that like, oh, you found a sport that you were so into, but give it some time and you'll see how it, it just, in light of eternity, makes no sense. Hey, you, you start to camp around certain relationships and, and when they break, they, they crush you. They poison you. Why? Because you didn't go to the source of all love. You went to the cracked cisterns and infected water. Water that, you know, it's not good after a few days. You buy that car, that house, you know, you get that dream and it only lasts for a few weeks. It's fresh for about a few weeks and then you realize how disappointing this is. And then you run out completely and you end up dry and empty. Uh, Dr. Um, Chapman, uh, Gary Chapman, he talks about the five love languages and he talks about how like, uh, I think it was him who said this, that like every single person that when you, especially in marriage is, is you have to deposit love in the other person's bank account before you withdraw it. So, so what he was saying is that if you have a car accident, but you never really loved your fiance or your, your wife, they might not stick with you. Why? Because you've never deposited, you never took the time to really put, you know, love into their bank. Don't withdraw unless you put in, right? So he was saying, but imagine going to a bank that there's no way to withdraw because it's everlasting source of it. So what I'm trying to say is when we start going to people to get that love from them, they only have so much unless they go to the fountain. It's so, so a marriage or a friendship or a family, right? Like regardless what love we are talking about here, at the end of the day, it has to be connected to the ultimate source. Otherwise, it becomes just a broken bucket, a cistern that holds no water, holds no love. It's just a matter of time when it's going to get bad or it's going to leak and it's not going to be a- anything left. Go to the source. Agape love actually makes all the other one work. So where are the other ones? Well, there's, you know, another love and the, the word... For it is Phileo, which we have the, the city called Philadelphia, which is like the city of brotherly love. <laughs> so Phileo is that, is, is this love of friendship. Love between sisters and, and brothers in Christ. Who people have different backgrounds, different nationalities, different colors, skin colors, whatever they are. But then they come together and saying, I love you and I care about you because you're my sister and you're my brother in Christ. So, so, so this kind of love is when we talk about church community, when we talk about growth track, when we talk about small groups, where we spend all most of our time, this is kind of like the phileo where we come together and we, we kind of encourage one another to follow after Christ even harder, right? Like to, to walk with Him daily. This is the kind of love that, that this brings up in us. That's why we can look at a, a guy or a girl and say, I love you in Christ. I love you. You know, you know, cause it's a different kind of love. 
Some of the most powerful verses that um, I see when it comes to the ad is John 15, 12 says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay, uh, lay down one's life for one's friends. You are now my friends. You do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything uh, the father told me. Proverbs uh, thirteen twenty says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate yourself with the fool and you get in trouble. And so that's kind of warning that, you know, hang out with the right people. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens another, a man sharpens another. Proverbs 17, 17 says, friend, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born and help in a time of need. So, so these are verses that drive to one thing, that we are meant to live in community. We are meant to live and love one another. Jesus goes as far to say that they will know you are my disciples by what? By how good looking you are? No, he says, they will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So if we're going to reach our community, if we're going to reach our Bellevue city, it has to be where people come and say, these people, man, I don't know, they're old. I'll speak with weird accents and all, but like they love each other. And that must be supernatural because in a, in a culture that is so divided between races and between, you know, you know, social scales and all that. At the end of the day, these people, this has to be supernatural is what I'm saying. This is the kind of love that Christ has loved us with. And he's, he, and then that agape love, once he fills our hearts, it turns into a phileo kind of love where we start loving one another with that. Amen. We love people that are not in the same category as we are. At least we don't think they are. We love people that maybe don't have as much or they have way more than you, you do. People that are different than you. And, and that's the kind of, you know, there's no place for racism in the house of God. There's no place for, you know, I'm rich and you're poor in the house of God. If you think there is, you should read the book of James. Right? Like, so, so this is the kind of love. There's no, there's no place for gossip and, you know, destroying other people's lives in the house of God. There's no place for any of that. Why? Because ultimately we understand that our identity doesn't come from what anybody says about us, right? Like, we're, I don't, we don't have to make ourselves feel important. You know, fight for ourselves because we have a God who's already done that, won the, that on the cross. And because of that, we no longer have to fend for ourselves. Just love one another as Christ has loved us. Amen. Next thing is, is that we have obviously a love that I'm not exactly qualified to talk about, but um, it's the euros, which we get the, the word erotic from. It's the romantic kind of love. The, the, you know, the one that makes society actually work. None of us would be here if it wasn't for that. I'm just saying. But, like, <laughs> so it's extremely important, right? But a lot of times, um, it's kind of, especially, I, I, my heart aches, even though, I'm, like, my heart aches when I see so many things in, in the, in the movies where they kind of, like, downplay marriage and they, oh, if you get married, you're, you're going to be bored and so on and so forth. And they try to, like, sort of, discredit what God created to be a beautiful thing. You know, and, and I look at that, and uh, Ephesians 5.21 says this, and, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as, as to the Lord. And listen to the husband, right? Like he says, for the husband is the head of, the ha- of, the, of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. 
as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now listen to what he says to the husbands. For husbands, this means your, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by clean, uh, cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. What an amazing picture of God's love towards the church. And he says, this is how your romantic love should be. It should be a, a sacrificial thing where you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love with the same, same love that Christ loved the church. As growing up, one, one kind of thing that I made when I was 16 is that every single time I date someone, um, anytime I date a girl, I basically hope to leave her better than I found her. What I mean by that is, guys, if you're in this place and, and you know, don't mess around with that girl because you might not know if she really will end up being your wife. So treat her as some as a daughter of, of, of God until you get married, and then that can turn into kind of like a romantic kind of love. But until then, you know, make sure that if you're to break up, you leave her in a better way that you found her. Now, does that always work? I don't know. I mean, it's I think all of us have faults, all of us are not perfect. But at least that's the goal that we should strive for. If we, we're talking about romantic love and the and the last one that I want to mention is the love called storge. Now, storge is more like affectionate love. It's think of, of the love between a parent and, you know, his daughter or, um, you know, his son or a mom. You know, the, the way a mom loves the son and the, and the daughter and so on and so forth. So storge, it's affectionate kind of love. Affection kind of love basically says this, that, you know, you... There's a family atmosphere, and I think a lot of times that even happens in the church. A love that is, it says that, hey, because we are family now, I care about you. Because we are family in Christ, you know, we're going the same direction. So it's this affection that we have. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's that spurs up out of, out of kind of like a storge kind of love, affection kind of love. As you are constantly loved by God and as you are surrounded by a church that loves you and cares about you and challenges you and says, hey, I'm here for you. No matter what you're going through, if you're dealing with depression, I, I'm going to sit beside you. Like this friendship love that we have, this, this phileo and this storge love, the affection kind of love that we have for one another, it, it's, you know, the romantic love is kind of described as face-to-face, right? This phileo and, and, and storge kind of love, it's kind of like side-by-side. Side. I go with you on this. I carry the same burden as you do. I will cry with you and, and I will split the, the burden that you have to carry between both of us. And I'll rejoice with you in, in time of, 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 of joy. I'm going to like cheer you on. If you have friends that they're not rejoicing for your wins, like you should really wonder what kind of friendship that is, right? Like Affection kind of love is, is purse one another to say, I want you to be godly. I want you to succeed. I want you, I want to see you better than even me. 
putting one uh, other's interest above your own. That's the kind of love that, that we see in story kind of love, like the affection kind of love. Uh, verse 25 says this, And let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that his return is drawing near. So he says, don't, for, don't, don't forsake the fellowship of the believers. A lot of people are like, oh, I, I'm not going to preach today on stage, so I'm not going to go to sh- church, or I'm not playing in worship, or I'm not, I'm not ushering today, so I'm not going to go to church. Well, look, you don't come to church because of that. You come to church because maybe God has put a word in your heart. When you go on the hallways and you have fellowship, the, God might, might prompt you to say that word to someone. To spur one another onto godliness, right? Like, and for you to, to not show up to church is not loving. For you to forsake the community and of the believer, it's not loving towards them. Because we have this little sort of like passive-aggressive, like, oh, I just didn't really like the way I was preaching yesterday, so um, I'm just going to like, not going to grace you with my presence type of thing. Like, no, that's not, that's not the love that Christ has given us. Hey, I, I'm going to go not just one step with you, I'm going to go the extra mile. Not only do I show up to church, but I'm going to show up so early that I'm going to be the first one to greet you and say, how's your week? And, and you're welcome here. And tell me, I, I hope that we get to a place as a church that so we come here half an hour before and all of us are just sitting on benches and talking and saying, how's your week? Can I pray for you? Can, can God I do something for you this week? That's kind of love. Christ has called us. Galatians 6.2 says this, Share each other's burdens, and then this, obey the law of Christ. So apparently Christ has a law, and that is to love one another. That is to share each other's burdens. And the last one is 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Brothers and sisters, I urge you to, um, I urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. This amazing pastor says, look, don't be, don't be like sort of lazy in your affection towards people. Be, you see, what we see in Christ is someone who pursued us. Someone that didn't, didn't give up on us. I hope that we raise up a generation of people that they're very intentional about their loves, right? Like they, they, they're intentional about visiting their family on weekends. They're intentional about being at church and, and actually seeing what's going on with other people's lives. They're intentional about pursuing the Lord with all that they have. Because ultimately, going back to the beginning, this is what Christ has done for us. Why do we do all these things? Because what He's done for us. We love because what? He loved us first. What we read at the beginning is, is when, we were, when we still hated Him, when we were spitting in His face, Christ, Christ came and loved you and me and gave Himself and submitted Himself onto the cross. See, none of these things will make sense. Now, you can go through life and you can... Uh, this is the last quote that I'm going to read. I know that our time is running uh, fast, but um, you can go through life and, and be okay. You could, you could say, you know what, I don't need any of that. C.S. Lewis has this powerful quote, says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable, because that's what it is. When you love someone, you put yourself in the position of to be vulnerable, because they might take what you say, and they might actually turn around you, and, and actually stab you, or so on and so forth, right? He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. If you love anything, 
your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make it, uh, of keeping it intact. So if you want to make sure that it doesn't break, is what he's saying. You must give it to your heart, no one, not even an animal or a puppy or whatever, right? Because like, if the puppy dies, then you're going to be heartbroken, is what he's saying. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, you will change. You'll not be broken. You'll become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. If we don't give into this, where we don't actually are intentional in our loves to one another, to our families, in our love towards Christ, then our hearts become irredeemable, unbroken. They become like the heart of stone. Remember like before in, in, the, in the hallway we talked about how God came to give us a heart of flesh to feel things. You, know, you can go through life and say, I don't need any of that because I don't want to put myself in a position. I think a lot of people, they, they try one time, they get into a romantic relationship and that breaks off and they're like, people are stupid. I don't want to date ever again. Or you get into a friendship that maybe a business deal that goes bad and like you sort of kind of look at that and say like I've been heartbroken and I'm going to just kind of protect my heart and like make sure that it's all so callous that nothing will ever get to it. Yeah, but you will change. You'll become unbreakable and irredeemable. That's, that's the problem. That's the danger of not opening up and loving like Christ loved. But you see, Jesus had his heart broken for every single one of us. And because of that, it's okay to be vulnerable, even if that results in heartbreak. Even if that doesn't turn out the way you intended it to turn out. At the end, he's going to put everything the way it was supposed to. He's going to redeem all things. And he says that all things, I work, I work for good for, the, for those who love me. So with that, I want to call you to prayer. Our time is about out and... I want to ask you, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, that you encounter that. Your loves, be it your friends, your family, it'll never be put right unless you actually encounter the love of Christ. So if you don't have a relationship with God, would you say, you don't have to stand up. I'm just going to ask you to say, Lord, would you come and start dealing with my heart? You know I've been shielding it. I've been, my heart's been callous to God. Would you break it in a way and then redeem my heart? Would you restore my heart? Would you give me a heart of flesh to feel things again? So I'm not just numb to things. I'm not just numb to another school shooting where when somebody's getting, you know, destroyed, like, I'm not just kind of like look at it with a kind of indifference. God, would you come and would you allow me to feel your presence once again? If you maybe know Lord Jesus Christ and you've been repenting, but you don't feel his presence, maybe because you've been holding on to some bitterness, Maybe you've been holding on to some brokenness. Would you say, God, would you come and heal that, restore that? And the final thing is, is that, would you become someone that is in this church that initiates, that you put yourself in vulnerable positions that others might encounter hope in, in the gospel? You say, God, I, I will go the extra mile. God, I, even if people spit in my face, even if they challenge me, if, even if they, they hate me, God, you love me in light of that. I cannot sit quiet. And I, can, I cannot be quiet about this. I will scream at the top of my lungs that you are my Savior. You are everything to me. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance. And until next time, God bless you.